growing in God's Word, and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. People scream that that's crazy, that's archaic, that is so old-fashioned. These needed actions, I'm I'm under no delusions of grandeur that from a worldly perspective somebody would accept this. They're going to laugh at it, they're going to mock it, they're going to say, you're insane. But Malachi 3.6 is still in the Bible. I'm the Lord God. I change not. Marriage is hard work. If you're married or have been married, then you know that statement is true. Our own sin nature and the pressures and problems of the world can create an environment where a husband and wife can have marital conflict. And that conflict can lead to hurt feelings and worse. No one gets married intending to get divorced, but with nearly one in two marriages ending in divorce, marital conflict needs to be addressed. Is there a way for a marriage to survive marital conflict? Our common goal is to glorify God by putting my spouse's well-being ahead of my own. That should be my continual goal as a husband, as a wife, putting my spouse's needs ahead of my own. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. Today we're in part three of Pastor Clay's message from Ephesians chapter five and how to survive marital conflict. As I said a moment ago, there will be conflict in marriage. And like a wound unattended, it will fester and it will spread and it can kill a marriage. But if we choose to do marriage God's way, we can find victory over the conflicts that arise. We can have a marriage that honors God and gives us love, peace, and joy. A marriage that is fulfilling and rewarding. It's not easy, but it's worth it. Now here's Pastor Clay. We are in a series called the Survivor Series. We're looking at different subjects that, uh, that what it means from a biblical concept to survive it. And this is now the third message on the subject of surviving marital conflict. I don't know why it's taken three messages to, to discuss surviving marital conflict. I don't know why that would, would take uh, so many weeks to do it. No, it's, it's because it's an important subject and it's something that needs to be discussed and is oftentimes not discussed because we're afraid of offending uh, people. Well, I'm not afraid of offending anybody. So no, I, I don't want to offend people, but, but I do want to proclaim the whole counsel of God. That, that's my calling. That's, that's my passion, but it's, it's my calling and it's my responsibility to do that. I had a conversation one time where this guy was telling me that in, I forget, it was something like 47 or 48 years of marriage, he and his wife had never had a single fight in, in whatever, 47, 48 years of marriage. He and his wife had never had a single fight. Not only that, and he added, not even, never, never even had a cross word between them in 48 years of marriage. My first thought was, what have you been smoking? My second thought was, what do you think I've been smoking that I would believe what you just said? And then my third thought was, if that is true, what were you both smoking? Because we could probably make a lot of money selling that stuff. We have marital conflict. We have disagreements, arguments, fights, whatever you want to call them. But we have them because, as I keep saying, two imperfect people living under the same roof is a formula for disaster unless God is in it. It's just, it's just tough. It's just going to be hard. And even when God is in it, even when we're trying to put God into it, it still can be difficult because we still have our flesh that we're battling with and all that kind of stuff. Correct? Right? Right? So this is now the third message from Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, probably uh, 
at least Paul's quintessential text on marriage and from a biblical perspective, from God's perspective, how marriage is to be done and how the role of the wife plays out, how the role of the husband plays out. Uh, And I've been working towards giving you four needed actions to resolve or to deal with, to overcome, to move past marital conflict. Because when conflict comes, words can be exchanged, uh, anger can arise, things can be said, actions can be taken that can have a lasting impact on that relationship. You, you know what I'm saying? And, and like a wound unattended, it, it will fester and it will spread and it can kill a marriage. Sometimes over what started what seemed like might seem like the most trivial of things. So, so what we're discussing from a biblical perspective is how do I, I know marital conflict is going to come. How do I deal with it in a way that honors God and is best uh, for our Relationship. So we're in Ephesians chapter 5. I'm not going to read all the texts that I've read in the previous uh, weeks. I will just, just mention the first two needed actions, and we'll jump back into the third one, which we started last week. The first needed action that I said in the first message uh, was this, that uh, to survive marital conflict, you need to stop trying and you need to start relying. And, and again, I'm not going to read verse 18 and 19 again, but go back. Those messages are online uh, you can get them, get them from, from our website, from, from the, the podcast, from video. There's a lot of different ways you can go back and watch those, but just understand what that means. What is he saying? I thought I was supposed to try. Go back and look at that. So uh, take a look at that. And then uh, the second, and the idea just being that we're relying on the Holy Spirit to do that work. Y'all can go back and listen to it. The second needed action that we discussed a couple weeks ago, was to survive marital conflict, keep an attitude of gratitude from verse 20. And just developing this within the context of marriage, developing the habit, the, the, the discipline, whatever you want to call it, but you develop this practice of intentionally thinking about things that you are grateful for with your spouse. Now, you know why you have to be intentional about that, right? Because the things you're not grateful for, they're just like all up in your face all the time, right? You don't even have to think, they just... They just come. You don't have to be intentional about the things that drive you crazy about your spouse. None of y'all have anything. Your spouse doesn't do anything that drives you crazy. You know what I'm saying. So you don't, th- those things are just there, right? And they grab you, that kind of stuff. And so if we're not careful, we can let those cloud out the things that, you know, this, this is why I fell in love with this person. This is why I, I mean, no, they're not perfect, but this is, and taking the, the opportunity to build in the discipline of uh, being thankful for your spouse and the things about them that you are thankful for, okay? Those were the first two needed actions. The third needed action that we started on last week looks like this. To survive marital conflict, learn to love third. Would y'all say that with me, please? To survive marital conflict, learn to love third. All right, let's read this. I will read this passage again. Uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 21 through 30. Y'all doing okay? Doing all right? Okay, I'll tell you what, uh, why don't you stand today for, the, for this part of the reading of, of God's word. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. Did that guy, other guy say Luke? I don't know what's wrong with that guy. Ephesians 5, verse 21. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, 
he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. Father, today, uh, as we dive back into your word, I I don't want to rush through this, but I I do want to to get through it. I do want to move through it. And and so so help me today, your messenger boy, to clearly communicate what you would want to say to these people as we prepare. Even in this, Lord, there's there's symbolism in this relation between husbands and wives. Uh, Right here, Paul compares it to the relationship between Christ and his spiritual bride, the church. And we're commemorating that today by his sacrifice, that he loved the church enough to die for it. Lord God, teach us the lessons that we need today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, and be seated. So we started with the idea, uh, the third, third idea is to survive, uh, this idea of surviving marital conflict, learn to love third. Learning to love third uh, carries this idea of what really is the key to understanding verses 22 and following, and really on into chapter 6, because in chapter 6, he begins to talk about children's role within the home and how, how that breaks down and how they submit to their parents' authority. All of it begins with verse 21, which says to us, and be subject to one another. That's the key to understanding verse, uh, the verses 22 and following, that it starts with this idea of submitting being subject to one another. If you were here last week, you know that I, I showed you the, the original uh, New Testament word that was written in, in Greek. Hupotasomenoi is the way it, it's written in Greek. It means to be subject to. Uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a present middle participle, which basically means that it's a current ongoing action performed on yourself. That's important. It's a current. It's something I'm doing and I keep on doing ongoing action performed on myself. In other words, it's not something I'm forced to do. It's something I volunteer to do. Be subject, volunteer to place yourself under everyone else. That's, that's the call. In, as an ancient military term, it meant to line up under. So it is voluntarily choosing to line up under the other. And so within the context of marriage, It means to voluntarily choose to line up under my spouse, to think of my spouse as greater priority than myself. That, but that is the overarching, the overarching philosophy to the, to our approach to life for a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, I think I put it this way and I may have had this up there last week, but it, it, it is to think of others as the greater priority than ourselves to think of others as the greater priority of ourselves. So within the context of marriage, then, that means that, I think I've got it up here, our common goal is to glorify God by putting my spouse's well-being ahead of my own. That should be my continual goal as a husband, as a wife. The common goal that we share together is to glorify God, and I I pointed that out last week, that's the 
that's very important, to glorify God by putting my spouse's needs ahead of my own, okay? So that's how kind of 21 kind of begins to lay this out, subjecting, lining up under, voluntarily lining up under other people. And then, so then moves on in verse 22, he begins to break down how does that happen? How does a wife line up under her husband? And so uh, this is what I said to you last week. I believe that a wife is to voluntarily place herself under the leadership of her husband. No husband has the right to force his wife, to demand that his wife do. He can, he can talk to her about it if he sees a struggle in that area and he doesn't feel that they should discuss it. They can talk about it. But this is a choice that she is choosing to make if she's a follower of Jesus Christ because what's the priority? To glorify God, right? So the priority is to glorify God. So it has no, no, nothing to do with whether I think he is an idiot, he being her husband. My goal is to line up under God, to glorify God. And so I will do that as a, as a wife, as it says there in verse 22 and following, by voluntarily lining up under my husband. Now, I know that's not easy to accept. I know that's hard sometimes to, uh, to get a hold of. And I know that people scream that, that is, is, that's crazy, that's archaic, that is so old-fashioned right? And that's what I'll sometimes hear. You can't possibly expect, and listen, I'm going to say this, these, these needed actions, I'm, I'm under no delusions of grandeur that, that from a worldly perspective, somebody would accept this. They're going to laugh at it. They're going to mock it. They're going to say, you're insane. I, I understand that. But Malachi 3, 6 is still in the Bible. I'm the Lord God. I change not. God doesn't change. I want you to understand that. The moral standards that he put in place when he spoke the world into existence, those same moral standards are still in place. The expectations that he has for husbands and wife are exactly the same as as he uh, oversaw the very first wedding between Adam and Eve in the garden. They they, they haven't changed. And some people might say, well, well, some things change. I mean, God does, does change. We don't do animal sacrifices anymore. That's true, but not because God changed, not because God thought, well, this is really a bad idea. I should stop doing this. No, that changed because it was fulfilled. It was completed. Christ's sacrifice fulfilled the symbolism of animal sacrifice so that it was no longer uh, needed or necessary. Sins were no longer just covered until the anointed one would come. He took them away. One sacrifice, once and for all. We, We don't do the uh, we don't do some of the dietary limitations that were put on the nation of Israel. That, that we, don't, we don't do those anymore because the symbolism of them was completed in Christ. They were fulfilled in, in Christ. They had some practical application for Israel as they wandered around in the wilderness, by the way, as well, but, but they were fulfilled in Christ. So, so yes, some things uh, are no longer done that were done previously, but not because God changed. You understand? God doesn't change. And so, what he says in Ephesians 5 and this role is that what we have as husbands and wife, that's still the same. It's what's going to happen in our lives. And so I laid out, wives, what that means. And, and I, that was all. You can go back and listen to that last week if you weren't here. Uh, kind of tried to go into some detail about this idea of voluntarily lining up under your husband's responsibility of authority in the home and how you do that and, and that sort of thing. So you can listen to it. Before we move on to the, to the husbands, because I, I know we're all itching to get to the husbands, but before we do, I wanted to just uh, bring to your attention just three ways that sometimes a wife 
may struggle in this idea of, of lining up under her husband. So three ways that it may manifest or, or show itself that you're struggling in this area, okay? Y'all all right with that? All right, first one looks like this. Uh, it's rejection of her husband's authority. In other words, a wife who just says, I don't care what the Bible says, I am not, I'm not placing myself under any man's authority, I'm not gonna do it. Now, she may not voice it exactly in those terms, but by her actions, if she is, is rejecting the idea that her husband has authority over her, and, what, and we talked about what that meant biblically last week, then ultimately, here's what you need to understand, ultimately, she is rejecting God's authority over her because God is the one who has asked her to voluntarily do this. Her husband cannot make her, should not make her, but a husband is to voluntarily place, I mean, a wife is to voluntarily place herself under her husband. When she rejects that, she's ultimately rejecting God's authority over her life because he's the one who's asked her to do that, okay? Second way that this may show up is when there's objection to her husband's decisions. And obviously, I'm referring to the decisions that he makes that she doesn't like, the decisions that he makes that she doesn't agree with. When there's this constant objection, this constant, you, you don't know what you're talking about. Why are you saying that? I'm, you, you know, da, da, da. And there's just this objection to the idea that her husband uh, feels led to do this. Now, we'll get to his responsibility and how he ought to be praying and seeking God's face and all that stuff. But, but it's just objections to his decisions. No, I don't, I don't like that. No, we're, we're, we're not going to. We're not going to do that. We're, no, we're not going to go here. We're, no, we're not going to spend our money on that. No, it just objecting. To, and then really kind of connect it to that or kind of as a natural overflow uh, to that is the third one, correction of her husband's actions. In other words, that's when uh, a husband says this is something we ought to do or this is what we're going to do or this is how I believe is that we ought to be doing. And she just, she just corrects it. She just goes ahead and does whatever she wants to or whatever she thought was best in the first place, regardless of what he thought about. She just corrects the, the decisions that he makes. Sometimes she might do it overtly, just like right in his face, because I don't care. He's an idiot. Or she might do it covertly without his knowledge. But either way, ladies, it's wrong. Because God has said that his glory and your peace and contentment and fulfillment in life are found within the context of marriage, are found by placing yourself under the, the, the responsibility that your husband has in this family unit. Okay? All right? I have questions about that? Again, go back and listen to last week's message. We can talk some more about that, but it's not... It's not, it's not forced. It's this thing that she volunteers to do because the, the objective, the goal is to glorify God, not do what this guy wants. There's a difference there. You understand? Okay. All right. So let's get to the husband. How does a husband line up under his wife? How does a husband um, place himself under? Because, because remember verse 21, be subject to one another. There's this mutual thing going on. How does the husband do that? Look at it again in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. There it is, guys. You and I as husbands, if you're married or going to be married someday, you are called to love your wives just as in the same way that Christ loved 
the church. Christianity 101, how much did Christ love the church? Enough to die for it. That's right. Bruce is doing it. Enough to die for the church. The church meaning you and me, the body of Christ. He loved the church enough to die for it. There it is, guys. There's our calling as husbands to love our wives in the exact same way that Christ loved the church. And I remind you, men, that the, our love for our wife is not measured by our, our readiness to die for our wives. The text doesn't say that Jesus Christ was ready to die for his bride, the church. It says he died for his bride, the church. There it is, guys. You and I are called every single day to die, to die to ourselves, to die to our needs, our wants, our wishes, our dreams, our ambitions, to die to all of them when they conflict with what is in the best interest of our spouse. Now, oftentimes in marriage, and if you've been married, you know this is true, they line up together and everything works hunky-dory, but when they don't, when I want my way, when I think this, when I want that, when I whatever, it, it is to die to myself and to place my wife's needs ahead of my whatever when they conflict. Now, again, there is an exception, just like there was with wives. If, if a wife wants or is asking or desires or wants to do something that, that is unbiblical, remember last week I said the Acts 5.29 principle applies? The Acts 5.29 principle would apply here as well. A husband should not just, well, if I, if I, don't, if I don't give in to her, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a mess in the house. It's not going to be nice. Because everybody knows if mom ain't happy, how do you, can y'all quote scripture like that? <laughs> so listen, that's, that's not leadership. You're called to be the leader in your home. I'll, we'll get to what that doesn't mean in a minute. But, that, but that's not leadership. Just to say, well, I've got to give her what she wants. No, there is an Acts 529 principle that would apply uh, in that situation, in, in some situations, Okay. All right, but the call is to line up under, to place myself under my, my spouse, my wife, and do what is best for her. And here's my argument about this, and, and I, you may not agree with me, ladies, but I've found this to be true in our marriage and in other marriages that I've observed practicing this. I've never met a wife who would not willingly line up under her husband when she knows that her husband is doing exactly what he, what he has led by God to do is what's in her best interest. The conflict comes when they don't, when they don't think they're doing that. We may get some of that, but do you understand what I'm saying? That, that's, that's, you can see how this thing beautifully works together when, when it's done God's way instead of, and, and here's, here's basically the way the world operates. Well, he, he's not going to get on top, well, he, she's not going to, well, he's not, and they, and they just, and there, there's this beating down. Maybe you've experienced this some in your life. God's plan is exactly the opposite. It says, hey, hey, guys, love your wife like Christ loved the church. Hey, ladies, line up under your husbands and do, and they end up building each other up together in this relationship rather than constantly just tearing each other down until both or one or both of them just say, oh, I, I just can't do this anymore. You see the difference? There's a stark difference, and it really comes down to who you're going to believe the God who created you and loves you enough to die for you or the world that honestly could care less about you and only wants to use you. You're going to have to decide which one of those models you're going to put into practice. 
But it's this idea of lining up under, doing what's best for your spouse. Now, I mentioned a, a few minute, moments ago three ways that a wife, uh, symptoms that'll show up, the wife's not placing herself under her husband. I want to give you a couple of ways that a husband is not lining up under his wife. He's not doing what his wife would need him to do. First one would be this, when he is acting more like a dictator than a liberator. No amens, lady, ladies? When he's acting more like a dictator than a liberator. Guys, that, that's not your call. That's not your responsibility. That's not your out of God's will when you begin to dictate to your spouse how things are supposed to, be got, supposed to be done. Christ came to set us free, did he not? He came to set his bride free. Why would we not be called to do the same thing for our spouses? To set our brides free. Free from things that oftentimes keep a woman bound up in bondage. I can tell you this, it doesn't come by 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 dictating, this is, this is what we're going to do, this is, how we're gonna, uh, and this is where we're going to go, and this is how you're going to dress, and this is how much we're going to spend. And this, listen, that, that, that's, not, that's not what God intended. Now, we'll get to that. A wife has input to share. She has experience. She has all this stuff. It's, it's just not smart for a husband to not hear what his wife has to say in each and every situation. And the majority of decisions between a husband and wife are made mutually. But when there's disagreement, when there's some sort of conflict, when there's some kind of issue that needs to be worked through, a husband's responsibility is to put his wife's needs above his own, to die to himself. And when he's dictating, he's not dying. Guys, we're called to liberate our wives because of the way that women are created. And this is not a, this is not a, a knock, this is not a negative. It, God in his economy knows exactly what he's doing. But because of the way women are created, they, they are more susceptible to to words that are shared, to looks that are given, to ideas that are thrown out there. Women can tend to be more susceptible to those things and those, those, those feelings of, of insecurity and anxiety and, and jealousies and whatever. So those things can bind a woman and keep her from being free and for who God has created her to be. And we as husbands are called to, to line up under them and set them free from some of those things that would keep them in, in bondage. To be a liberator. Guys, to be a liberator. Let me give you an example. Let's say, let's say Brad and I are playing golf. And we're playing golf and, uh, and Brad uh, happens to say to me uh, while we're playing, he said, where'd you get those shorts? I would say something like... Um, I think Cindy got them for me at Kohl's. Brad would say something like, huh. And that would literally be the end of it. Neither Brad nor myself would give any more thought to my shorts or where they were purchased. But if a woman asks another woman, where do you get those shorts? Maybe not always, but I'm just telling you, in 40 years of marriage, instantly her mind begins to race. Does she not like them? Is this the wrong color on me? Did I sit on something? What? Right? And, and if she doesn't get a, a resolution to this, this thing that has now just jumped into her life, if she doesn't get a resolution to it, she's going to continue to think about it that night. She's going to continue to think about it every time she walks in the closet and looks at those shorts because she's sure never going to put them on again uh, unless she finds out why her friend asked her where she got those shorts. That's why I believe that a wife or a woman sometimes will go into a great amount of detail in answering what might seem like a simple question. 
Well, I got them at, at Coles, the one in Falls of Noose, not the one in Briar Creek. I, I got them last Tuesday, I think. It could have been Wednesday. No, I, I, it was definitely Tuesday because that was when my daughter's uh, recital was. It was awesome. I wish you could have seen it. Anyway, I was turning in the Coles and I almost got sideswiped by this lady coming out in this Mercedes. It was unbelievable. I couldn't believe it. But anyway, I wasn't going to get the shorts. Uh, I went in there because I was looking for something for my sister. Her birthday's not till September, but uh, she gets real sensitive if I forget her birthday. It's been that way ever since she was a kid, and so I wanted to get a head start on it. But anyway, I went in there, and I wasn't going to get the shorts because they were normally $87, but Kohl's was having this huge sale, and plus I had a 30% off uh, coupon, and I had $10 in Kohl's bucks. Do you like them? I really, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I don't claim to be necessarily an expert on the female species, but I really believe that there is some truth in this, that a woman, even, even imperceptibly, is trying to, to, is trying to build a case or to justify the actions that she takes. And you shouldn't have to do that. You, you ought to be set free from that stuff. Because a guy, he could care less. He, he just, he's like, I like them. They're comfortable. And that's it. But it can be different sometimes for uh, a woman. And so, so we, what I'm saying is, guys, we need to be sensitive to that. We need to be sensitive to our wife's needs and, and take these opportunities to liberate them, to help them grow in their relationship with Christ, to say words of affirmation that we need to say to them. Ladies, y'all, want, y'all like words of affirmation, right? And listen, I'm not saying husbands don't have these same types of feelings and that kind of stuff. I'm just saying that men don't tend to get bound up in some of this stuff that wives do. Not a negative, I'm just saying it's the way we're created. And so a husband is called to come in here and to, to speak into his wife, to act into his wife, to do things that liberate her from these things that would, that would bind her up. Let me give you another example. Uh, we were coming back Thursday uh, from, the, from the funeral. The funeral or we come back Wednesday. The funeral's on Tuesday. Come back Wednesday. I sound like a woman now, don't I? Anyway, we're driving through. We're between Nashville and Knoxville and uh, the gas gauge is getting down kind of towards low. And, um, and I know, you know, Cindy's, I'm driving at this point. Cindy's over there, and she's, everyone's just looking. You know, she's looking over at the gas gauge. She's looking over at the gas gauge. Everyone's I'm not saying anything, right? Not saying anything at that point. You're getting kind of low on, on gas. And, I, and you're getting in the, there's a spot between Nashville and Knoxville where it gets kind of sparse, the exits or not, not a lot of things there. And so I thought, well, I better pull in. So I finally get off and exit. And there's like, I don't know, it's like 20 miles left, you know, because some of the cars now, they'll give you a reading of how many miles till empty, right? I got one of them. I'm not sure how precise those are, but uh, it's like 20 miles left. So I pull in and, uh, and there's two gas stations at this exit. One is completely closed down, no longer exists. The other one, they're repairing the pumps and you can't get any gas. So oh, that's, that's later. So I pull back out on the interstate, and I'm going, and I, I can see, okay, there, there's uh, Crossville or something's coming up. Exit, sun says, I'll get gas there. Well, my, my brother, Ashley, called me, and I'm talking to him, and I guess somehow I missed that exit. I just was talking and, you know, that sort of thing, and I missed the exits, and he didn't say a word, and I just uh, kept going. And so then, finally, at some point, she said, you are freaking me out. <laughs> and so I, I did find, fortunately, found another exit with eight miles still uh, left on the thing and pulled in and got gas. But, but guys, what I'm saying, we, we, we need to be sensitive to our wives. We need to, we need to speak words of affirmation. We need to be kind. We need to do all those things. We need to stop and get gas when they want us to stop and get gas. And not because I'm like, I wonder how far this, I can go with this thing. I wonder if I really can, can get, right? Okay. So um, here's the second way that guys can sometimes uh, not 
be lighting up under their wives. When he is uncaring instead of forbearing. Forbearing meaning to be patient. Patience communicates caring uh, to, to a woman. If, as we are patient with them, we're communicating to them, I care about. If, if they're wanting to tell us something while we're sitting there trying to watch a critical moment in a football game and they're wanting to tell us something, turning and looking and listening to her and responding to what she says, which I'm terrible at at times, uh, communicates to her, he cares about me. He cares about what I'm going to say. And sometimes we can be uncaring we ought to be forbearing. We need to learn to be patient with our spouses. And, 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 and obviously they need to be patient with us as well because we can be knuckleheads sometimes. But I'm saying that that communicates something to our wives. It communicates, he values me. He wants to hear. He wants to see what I'm doing. He wants to, he, and so we need to learn uh, to do that. And I can just tell you from personal experience, and I'm guilty of this, just saying something like, well, you just need to get over it. That, that's, that's not, that's not, uh, Forbearing. That's not being patient. That's not being kind. That's not being any, any of that kind of stuff. You understand what I'm saying, guys? So we have, to, we have to learn to be forbearing. We need to learn to be patient, not uh, because, because we're communicating that we're uncaring. Here's another one. We, we, after we got gas, Cindy took over. She's driving and because we're going to stop and get something to eat. And I just tend to not like to eat while we're driving. And she's okay with it. She does it for me. And so we're going, and there was, where we got gas, there was just a McDonald's, but we'd just eaten a McDonald's, so I thought, well, you know, we won't want that, she won't want that, we'll go on up. So we went on up, a couple more exits, and there was a sign, there was going to be quite a few things there, and uh, there were two things that particularly caught my eye, because my wife had said to me, I don't care, you pick out, I don't, I don't care, you pick it. Guys, we know it's a lie, don't we? We know it's a lie. And after 40 years, I still fall for it. I, I don't care. You pick out whatever you want. And so we pull off the interstate. Here's a sign. And two things particularly catch my eye. Uh, steak and shake and Arby's. Those particular things catch my eye. And she'd already said she doesn't care for me to pick something. So those particular things caught my eye. Um, both of them are to the left when, you come off the, when, I, when I come up to the, the ramp. The, the uh, steak and shake is 1.5 miles off the interstate. The Arby's is 0.3 tenths of a mile off the interstate. Guys, what am I going to? Arby, I'm going to Arby's, right? Because I like both of them equally. So we pull around, pull through the drive-thru, and I can, she's already, I can tell, there's a little bit of huffing going on as we're pulling into the drive-up. And as we're pulling up there, she says, what am I going to get? Oh, I get the same thing I have to get every time here. And then she says, not my first choice. <laughs> kind of says it under her breath, but loud enough I can hear it. I'm like, I was fairly patient. I, I think I did kind of mumble, Cindy. But I wanted to say, I don't care if it's, if it's not your first choice. You didn't, you gave me the choice. But that's, but that's not, right? And so, you understand what I'm saying? That we have to be, we have to be this person that he has called us uh, to be. Maybe you've read this passage of scripture in uh, 1 Peter uh, chapter uh, 3, I think it is. In the same way, you husbands must live with your wives with the proper understanding that they're more delicate than you. Treat them with respect because they also will receive together with you God's gift to life. Notice the equality there. Do this so nothing will interfere with your, with your uh, prayers. So uh, what, he, what he's saying there is, is that that's not only true physically, Right, and he's and, and Peter's saying, don't think that you can that you can lord it over your wife just because you're bigger than her or stronger than her. That's not only true physically, but it's true emotionally. Again, not a negative. It's just the way God has created us in this balance that it's supposed to work. 
And we need to un- be understanding. We need to live, live with them in an understanding way. We need to be patient with them. We need to be caring towards them. And when we're not, that, that's when we are not lining up, lining up under our spouse. Do you understand? And that's what we are called to do, guys. That's what we're called to do. Okay, there's a lot more I probably could say about all of that, um, but I, I need to get to the fourth needed action today that I want to share with you before we go to the Lord's Supper. And it looks like this. To survive marital conflict, stay in it to win it. To survive marital conflict, stay in it to win it. Now listen to me. I'm not saying that there are not any biblical grounds for separation, for divorce. I, I think that there are some biblical grounds. But I'm just, I'm, I know I'm stating the obvious here, folks, but you can't win it. You can't succeed. You can't have victory in this marriage if you don't stay in it. In uh, verse uh, 31 I think it is. Uh, yeah. Uh, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Well, shouldn't a wife... Love her husband also? Yes, but she displays that love to the way a man receives it. She displays that love by showing respect to him. And she respects him by recognizing his God-given responsibility to, to be the leader in that family unit. So it's this mutual idea. Again, it's this mutual subjecting to one another. But Paul makes reference to that very first marriage back there in, in Genesis chapter 2 where God brought Adam and Eve together. And he, and he quotes from that very passage of Scripture. In, in the uh, King James, I think, I think the word it uses is cleave. Maybe I'll, if you've got a King James version, you'll see that. It's cleave. It basically means to be, to, be, to be glued to, to be joined to, to be inseparable because these things are, are glued together in such a way. That's God's intention for marriage. I know it doesn't always work out that way. I'm just telling you that's God's intention. And I'm saying it can work out that way when husbands and wives are following this model that Paul lays out in Ephesians chapter 5. But it's this joined to in, in an inseparable way. I didn't bring it today, but I imagine if you had two pieces of wood, maybe two pieces of plywood, because plywood is kind of made up of a bunch of little pieces. And that's kind of what we are. We're made of a bunch of different spiritually, physically, emotionally, all these different pieces. Imagine if you had two pieces of, of plywood uh, glued together. Any of you that are woodworkers have done that sort of thing. If you have the right tools and enough effort, you can get those two apart. But you can't do it without splinters. You can't do it without damage. You can't do it without scars. And, and that's what I'm saying to you. It's God's intentions that we, that, we, that we stay in this thing. We stay in it to win it, to have the marriage that God wants us to be. I came across this study a few years ago. I came across a study a few years ago that I found fascinating. Researchers uh, did a survey with uh, a, a certain amount of married couples. I forget what the exact number of married couples they did this with, but they did a survey of these married couples. Each one of the couples that they selected were in counseling for marital conflict, marital, marital difficulties that they were having. They surveyed each person in the marriage and they asked them uh, pretty much one simple question. Would they consider their, their emotional state to be uh, happy, somewhat happy, very happy, or unhappy, somewhat unhappy, very unhappy, or somewhat unhappy, unhappy, very unhappy? 
Not surprisingly, virtually 100% of the people, because they're, they're in marital counseling, they're, they're having difficulty in the marriage, virtually 100% of the people listed their emotional state as either unhappy or very unhappy. Here's where it got really interesting. They went back, the surveyors went back five years later and surveyed the exact same people. Some of the couples had divorced. Some of the couples had stayed together. But this is where they found the information that absolutely blew them away. What they found was that the couples that, that separated, that went ahead and divorced, still listed their emotional being as either unhappy, somewhat unhappy, or very unhappy. And the couples that, the, that they surveyed that stayed together, the vast majority of them listed their emotional feeling as either happy, somewhat happy, or very happy. It was exactly the opposite of what they thought they would find. But it's exactly what God says. God says, stay in this thing. Stay in it to win it. It's not easy. It's not easy, right? It can be hard at times. But what's the goal? To glorify God. How do I do that? By thinking of others. As a follower of Jesus Christ, how do I do that? By thinking of others as more imp- and their needs as more important than mine. They're not better than me. I talked about that last week. But I should look at your needs as better, as more important than mine and vice versa. That's the call of follow Jesus. When the context of marriage, it means that a husband dies to whatever in his life that is not in the best interest of his wife. And, and a wife lines up, voluntarily places herself under her husband's leadership in the home. They'll have discussions They'll talk, they'll pray through, they'll do other But that, when it's done that way, it's done, it's done well. It works well, and marriage can be what it's intended to be. There was a guy in, uh, in when I was in college, there was a guy in my class who uh, was offered a position, uh, an executive level position at a very large mega church in Ohio. And, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of perks that go with that. You're going to be, you're going to be somebody in the church, big salary, be able to buy a big house, all that kind of stuff. His wife had some concerns about it. She had some concerns about them moving from Georgia to Ohio. They were native Georgians, and she just, she just didn't have a piece about it, about the decision. She tried to talk to her husband about it. And this is, he told me this later. This is what the husband said. Either you're not listening to God, or I married the wrong woman, because I'm going to Ohio. Guys, that's not liberating. That, that's, not, that's not setting your wife free. That's dictating. And you know what? She submitted. She placed herself under his authority as God asked her to do. She honored Christ in her decision, and they went. And within a couple of months, they were in the biggest mess in the world, and he was fired or quit or something within like six months. He was gone from there. What I'm saying to you is this thing will work if, if we work it, if we do it the right way. If, if, if my wife is, is sensitive to God's spirit and leading and praying and I'm doing the same and we're discussing these things. Now, you know what? I might, I might still, or he might still say, listen, I still think this is where we need to go. He listens to her input. He receives it. He, he honors her and her, what she has to say. He values it. And he says, but I still think it's where she, we need to go. Then she places herself on her throne and she goes willingly and does all she can to make that that situation the best it can be. But, but it requires that the husband die and the wife line up under her husband. Okay? Ready to give it a try? Listen, we get, we get it right sometimes, we get it wrong sometimes, but if we stay in it to win it, 
Listen, I'm telling you, if we do, if we put this into practice, I know the world says this is insane, but I'm telling you, if you put this into practice, God will do amazing things in it. And even if your spouse, because this is, this, is, this is what I get. Okay, but what if my spouse is not doing their part? I'm, I'm trying to line up under my husband. I'm trying to submit to his authority in the home, I'm, his leadership. I'm trying to do all that, but he's, he's not putting my best interest first. He's not doing what's best for me. Well, what am I supposed to do? Or a husband that says, I'm trying to be the leader in my home, but my wife won't let me lead. She just says, no, I, you're, you're an idiot. I'm not listening to you. Or she just makes other decisions or she, she just takes matters into her own hands. And she, what am I supposed to do? You may not like this, but all you're called to do is just be faithful to what God has called you to do, okay? Let me, let me bring it up. I think I've got something to bring up on the, on the screen. Looks like this. Your contribution to the marriage is not determined by your spouse's participation in the marriage. It's not. Now, I know we want it to be because we want to think of marriage as 50-50, but listen to me. Marriage is not 50-50. Do you hear me? Marriage is not 50-50. I know that's how the world looks at it. I know that's how our flesh wants. Well, I'll do my part if he does his part. God says this is not a 50-50 contract. This is a 100-100 covenant. This is Clay giving 100% and Cindy giving 100%. And even when Clay doesn't give 100%, Cindy's still giving 100%. So on and so forth. That, that, that way there's no expectation that they, they're not measuring up because my goal is what? What's the goal one more time? To glorify God in my marriage. Listen, maybe you can look at your own life, your own marriage. Maybe you've, you've been through the pain of divorce and you say, man, I, I, I miss. We can't undo past, right? We can only move forward in Scripture and what Scripture says and try and do marriage the way God intends us to do it. If we do, we will glorify God. We'll have the marriage that it can be. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Holy Spirit led the Apostle Paul to write out a prescription for a godly marriage. Having the Spirit controlling us is really the key to being the spouse God wants us to be. As Pastor Clay reminded us throughout these messages on surviving marital conflict, it has to begin by recognizing that our first priority is not to have a happy marriage, but to have a marriage that glorifies God. If a husband and wife have the goal of glorifying God in their marriage, then they can experience true joy and contentment in their marriage. We invite you to join us on a Sunday morning at Cross Culture Church. We gather each week in a casual and contemporary atmosphere to celebrate the goodness of our God. Cross-culture may be a little different from what you're thinking. Sure, we're a church, but instead of religion, we're about a relationship, a community of believers where Jesus is revealed in the lives of each person, real people who truly care, solid biblical teaching from Pastor Clay Stevens, and the most energetic, fun, and safe kids program around. Find out more at crossculture.church. Cross Culture Church in North Raleigh, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.